Welcome to the World Library Podcast, the official podcast of World Library Publications, joyfully serving the singing, praying, and initiating church since 1950 and part of the J.S. Pollock Company since 1972. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, Marketing Specialist and your host. Our opening song today was True Love by Danielle Rose from the album Mysteries. Today I'm going to talk about two new books and speak to their authors. We have a new book by Brother Mickey McGrath called A Holy Mosaic, Love, Diversity, and the Family, Inspiration from Pope Francis. Based on quotes from Pope Francis' apostolic exhortation Amoris Laetitia and other writings, Brother Michael O'Neill McGrath's A Holy Mosaic presents evocative artwork depicting the joys, challenges, and richness of love and family. Brother Mickey's vivid illustrations help each of us delve that much deeper into the Pope's wisdom. As you explore the art of word and image within these pages, you will be sure to find inspiration that resonates with your own personal experience of God's love and the love of those around you. My guest is Mickey McGrath. Thank you, Mickey, for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I was reading through the book, and so here are some of the things that I wanted to uh, see if you could talk about with us. Um, it said here that you took a class on how to make mosaics. Could you tell us about that? Sure. Um, I said it was a summer class, a one-week-long class at, at the uh, Grunewald Guild. It's an interfaith art, uh, kind of an art retreat center. I always think of They don't call themselves a retreat center, but that's what I think of it as. Um, and it's in the Cascade Mountains in Washington State. And I've been teaching there uh, for, this will be my 32nd summer, I think. And one summer, a long time ago, I, I took a class. One of the other teachers was teaching a class on mosaics. And so that's where I, I did that. And, and I like the, uh, the analogy you bring to a mosaic of art to uh, the family and how that's a diverse um, um, group of people versus a group of shapes or colors. Yeah, yeah, the human family, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Can, you, can you talk more about the challenging mosaic uh, quote that Pope Francis refers to? And the quote is, there is no stereotype of the ideal family but rather a challenging mosaic made up of many different realities. Uh, sure. I think that in modern times, as we all, every family is touched by um, uh, untraditional aspects that, you know, and, that, and that's the Holy Spirit's present in all of it. As long as there's love and, and uh, harmony, then we know that God's present no matter what configuration the family is. Uh, um, you know, there's the divorced, the single parent, there's gay, there's, straight there's uh, people in many colors and biracial children and uh, and that's what makes uh, for a beautiful mosaic all that variety oh absolutely I feel it's the same they get the old expression you know variety is the spice of life I think that's kind of what the Pope is saying in a different way you know with the uh, with this mosaic analogy oh absolutely I, I was intrigued to find out that your all boys high school did not have any art classes so could you tell me, how did your love of art come from? Where did it come from? Well, I've always had it ever since I was a real little kid. It was the only thing that uh, I felt confident about in terms of, you know, my own personal uh, gifts and 
you know, personality. And, um, and so, and I, I'm blessed I had parents growing up who encouraged it and helped me by buying, you know, how to sketchbooks and create a, um, a little kind of a studio for me in our basement at home in Philadelphia where I grew up. And um, so uh, they nurtured it, my parents. I never heard from them that I couldn't pursue art because there's no money in it or artists or failures or whatever. You know, they never suggested those things to me at all. So um, when I was going into this high school that uh, didn't have an art class at that time, they do now, I was just inducted into that high school's Hall of Fame last year. So that was kind of, I shared all this in my uh, little acceptance speech. Um, so it was kind of interesting. They've come a long way in the however many years, 40 years, 50 years. Um, since that time, but um, so uh, anyhow, my parents took me for art lessons downtown, oh. the Moore College of Art in downtown Philly. Well, that's great. And that's yeah. And then congratulations on your Hall of Fame induction. That's wonderful. Oh, thanks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> No, you're welcome. Um, now, um, as I was reading further, um, how did it feel? Uh, you know, looking back, how did it feel to be the youngest in your family? Um, I, I still am. Okay. <laughs> <So> <laughs> right. Right. I don't know any difference. <laughs> I didn't know any difference. Um, so uh, you know, here I am, sixty-two, and still think of myself as the, the baby. And I think sometimes my siblings don't think of me that way. You know, we all have our roles and. Right, the family lineup, and uh, so I, I like it. I think I, I, I didn't like to hear it when I was a kid that I was, uh, you know, spoiled or whatever. But uh, I think looking back, in many ways, I was. By the time I came along, out of five, I, you know, my parents were kind of, it was like, oh, do whatever you want, so I. They were tired. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're that, raising that first four. <laughs> yeah, that's very so, true. Because uh, I, I was the oldest in my family, so I can't even uh, imagine. <laughs> yeah, right. So you, you have a different sense of responsibility than I. C completely. <laughs> I was always responsible for the baby brother, so maybe that was. Yeah, exactly. Uh, absolutely. So I grew up in a space of every you know just waiting to be told what to do, and you know just kind of follow the follow everybody else and. So yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's harder to be the first because when you're the youngest, you've at least somebody came before you and was yeah. able to blaze yeah, that trail. Right. Um, <laughs> so, um, what? Uh, how? Basically, uh, just and you talked about sketchbooks earlier, and I know that uh, we've moved forward with technology. So, uh, tell us about the medium you used for a holy mosaic. How was it created? Um, the, all the artwork in the Holy Mosaic and most of my books lately are um, were done digitally. I, I draw on an iPad, and um, uh, and that's how they were all done. Uh, because I often not only do I enjoy the to me it's just another medium like watercolor or acrylic, um, but um, I also like it because I travel a lot, and so it's easy to to travel with, especially on a long plane ride. Oh, uh, sure, sure. Occupied, yeah. It's a little tough to travel with an easel and paintbrushes. And That's I think, right. <laughs> I, think, I, I think they frown on that on most airlines. <laughs> yes, because I, I, I know when I, when, I, when I tell people about this book and I tell them it's been created on an iPad, they look at the art again and go, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> and, um, and the art, and, and we always get a lot of high praise for the artwork. Um, my favorite part of every picture you do, um, when you depict the image of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, uh, when did that, uh, when did that start? 
Oh gosh, uh, I don't even remember. It's been so long; it's just kind of become part of a. Because I always, I always I look for the dog. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's about twenty years ago when I did my first book. Oh, uh, um, yeah, uh, it's. I uh, love the Holy Spirit. So kind of, people kind of sometimes get upset if they if it's the spirit's not in there. I don't put it in every single painting or drawing if it doesn't fit. I don't want it to look like just. Got to find a spot for it somewhere, you know. So I like to try to weave it in. So if it doesn't fit, I don't put it. And oh yeah, and uh, speaking I of hear about it. speaking <laughs> of, of weaving it in, uh, one of the examples uh, in the book uh, where it says, "In the family, three words need to be used: please, thank you, and sorry." It's a it's a picture depicting a, like a stitch craft or a needle craft, and the Holy Spirit is holding the needle and thread. Oh, right. And uh, I thought, wow, that's just, it's brilliant how it's all worked in there. And sometimes it's, it's a little funny. Sometimes it's real solemn, but yeah, but it's, yeah. uh, there's a, there's a picture of a baby cradling the dove who's asleep in its arms. And I just thought every picture just has that. And it, I always look for that when I see one of your pictures. Oh, uh, good. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Well, well, thank you, Mickey, for, for joining us today. The book is A Holy Mosaic by Mickey McGrath. It's $20 from World Library Publications. Thank you again, Mickey, for being Perfect. here. Perfect. Oh, you're very welcome, Larry. Thank you. I was with Jesus on the third day at a wedding in Cana in Galilee. I am always watching over all my children at the table of the living feast. I know that when the wine ran short, I said, Son, their cups no longer. You've just heard Wedding at Cana by Danielle Rose, also from the Mysteries album. The next book is called Praying the Rosary Together A Guide for Home and Classroom by Carolyn Pertle. This practical and in-depth book about the devotion of the rosary will appeal to readers across a broad spectrum. For novices, there are basic step-by-step instructions on how to pray the rosary. Chapters on the history and role of the rosary provide more detailed information. The heart of the book is the 20 individual mysteries of the rosary, which include scripture passages, reflections, and discussion questions. Each mystery is accompanied by the artwork of the author's brother, John Pertle. Ideal for parents, teachers, and anyone who wishes to deepen their life through prayer through the rosary. My guest is Carolyn Pertle, author and composer. In addition to the book, I talked to Carolyn about her music as well. I am speaking to her by phone from her office at the University of Notre Dame. Welcome to the World Library Podcast, Carolyn. Thank you. Can, pleasure to be here. Thank you. And can you start by telling us a little bit about your background? So I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, and I was um, at Kansas State University where I did a bachelor's in piano performance. So I was, you know, always more of a musician um, than a theologian first, um, but I was always very active in music ministry um, from the time I was a kid and, you know, into college and things like that. So, um, you know, the whole transition from studying music to studying theology happened really organically for me, um, just mm-hmm. based on the fact that I was always in some form of music ministry from the time I was younger. So um, <clears throat> so I got into composition when I was in, in undergrad and discovered that I really loved, you know, writing music for the church. 
um, came to Notre Dame where I did my master's degree in sacred music and, um, you know, left the university after finishing my master's for a few years and came back in 2012 to work at the Center for Liturgy um, and was able to, you know, um, really bring my musical skills and my love of theology to my new role here. Um, and that's kind of how the, the rosary book came about was the combination of those two things. Okay, and then of course, I was my, my, my follow-up question was to be where did the idea for writing the book about the rosary come from? And you kind of touched that. Is there any other place where that came from? Yeah, so um, it actually started as a musical project. Um, mm. One of my colleagues uh, works in the Office of Life and Human Dignity, and they she was planning a rosary for life as part of her work here, and had asked me if there was you know any music that I would recommend. Um, or that I would care to contribute to that particular event. So that basically um, provided a catalyst for me to create a hymn text where each mystery of the rosary was a specific, a separate verse. Um, and so, you know, we would use that in that particular event um, and it was really well received and it was a fun project um, and it was a really uh, fruitful and, and enriching project for me um, because it helped me approach the rosary in a new way. And, um, you know, I submitted the hymn text to World Library as a piece of music. And then as I had been thinking about it, thought, you know, it might be nice to actually um, expand that a little bit as a project in order to, you know, help other people encounter the rosary in, in a new way as I had through, through writing the hymn text. Um, so I pitched the idea to Alan Homerding, and mm-hmm. he was very excited about it and very supportive. And that's how the book project came about. Yes, and the book turned out fantastically, by the way. Thank um, you. Just a just a wonderful book. Um, I know on, on, in the world of Catholic publishing, there are many books on the rosary. How do you think your book compares to the rest of the literature? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, you know, in the foreword of the book, I actually kind of address this where, you know, mm-hmm. because there are so many books about the rosary, like why on earth write another one? And um, I think what distinguishes um, perhaps my book from some of the other ones that are out there is the kind of multidisciplinary, multifaceted approach. So, you know, my brother John is an incredible artist and yes, has created yes. beautiful pieces of art for each mystery. Um, and so, you know, there's the visual component that will help people kind of imagine the mysteries of each, you know, each mystery visually in a really vivid and detailed way. Um, and then there's the musical component. So that hymn text that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. each of those verses is included um, with each of the mysteries. Um, and then, you know, there's the theological reflection. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, I've, I've written some original reflections on each of the mysteries to kind of help uh, people encounter them in a new way with some reflection questions that will help them, you know, think more deeply about how that mystery kind of plays out in their own lives. And then in addition to that, you know, there's a scriptural rosary, um, which is a common practice in other rosary resources that I have seen. But um, what's distinct about this this approach is um, all of the verses for my scriptural rosaries are from the Old Testament. So mm-hmm. um, it kind of broadens our understanding of these mysteries as not isolated events, but as the fulfillment of the scriptures. Um, and so, you know, I think it exposes people to 
you know, more Old Testament scripture than they might normally encounter in uh, reflection on New Testament mysteries of the rosary um, and helps them to kind of broaden their scriptural imaginations that way. Oh, wow, that's great. And, and you briefly mentioned your brother doing the art. And I would tell our mm-hmm. listeners, since we are an audio program, to please visit the website to the product page so you can see the sample of uh, pages. Uh, the art is fantastic. And how, how was it working with your brother on this project? It was really fun. I, I have, I mean, I'm a couple years older than John and, um, he has been drawing for as long as I can remember, um, and studied painting at Wichita State University and has done a lot of really great pieces in our hometown. Um, he's actually, um, becoming pretty known as a muralist back mm, home. Okay. Um, so if you drive through Wichita, you can see a bunch of his stuff on sides of buildings and, and different restaurants and things like that, which is really cool. Um, but you know, I had, um, I've had a piece of his in my office. Um, he gave it to me as a graduation gift um, when I finished my master's of sacred music here at Notre Dame. And it's a painting that he did of the disciples in the boat um, on the stormy sea. Mm-hmm. And and it's very, um, it's very different from anything else that I have in my office. Um, he's very inspired by, you know, comic book art and graffiti art and things like that. And also, you know, just very um, detailed and almost whimsical um, images that you might find in children's book illustrations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, anytime anybody would come and visit my office for the first time, their eye would just go straight to his art. And I had a lot of people ask me, you know, where I had gotten the piece, who had done it, you know, that kind of thing. So it was a great conversation starter. And so that to me indicated that he would be a really, um, you know, his eye is so detailed and he really has the capacity to kind of um, bring things to life in a really interesting and unique way. And so I was always, you know, when I realized that I wanted to have art be part of this project, um, for me, there was, you know, no one that I would rather have provide those illustrations than John. Oh, yes. And the art is absolutely amazing. And it really does bring out each of the mysteries to to our listeners. So when you pick up a copy Mm -hmm. of the book, that is going to be the first thing you see. And um, on each of those uh, sections and the the pages just come up, come alive from there. Um, How long did it take to actually write the book? It took about a year. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had been doing research on the history of the rosary and, um, you know, trying to learn some of the you know salient kind of important details to be able to share with people about the history of this devotional practice from the yes. church. Um, so there was a lot of reading and research that I, I, I needed to educate myself on before I felt like I could right. write with any degree of authority on it. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then with John's artwork, um, you know, he has a lot of other different projects and things like that um, going on usually simultaneously. Um, so there were opportunities where he would, you know, send me drafts of things that he had been thinking about. And I would, you know, we would correspond and chat on the phone about different theological details that, um, I would really want to be present in a visual illustration. And so there was a lot of back and forth, um, because obviously he's still in Wichita and I'm in South Bend. Um, so that was, um, but that was a fun, you know, a fun way for us to keep connecting and, and things like that. But all in, it, it took about a year. Oh, that's great. It sounds like you have a very close family relationship, too, with your family. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm one of six kids, and yes. we're all very close. So <laughs> that's, it's a great gift. That is wonderful. And you touched on this in your answer already, but I was going to point out you do offer a very good historical account of the rosary, as well as praying it today. Uh, how do you think the praying of the rosary compares from historical, uh, from the very beginnings to where we are today? So I think, you know, in the beginning, perhaps, 
um, there was less perhaps of an emphasis on kind of the imaginative reflective, you know, component of the rosary, although that actually developed relatively early in its history. Um, and so I think, um, you know, it, it may not be today a devotional practice that people tend to gravitate toward. I think mm-hmm. um, one of the one of the misconceptions about the rosary is that it's it's antiquated, um, and that you know little little grandmas are praying the rosary in the church with their beads, you know, when they're sitting at mass. And you know, my grandmother was a, a huge proponent of the rosary, as was my grandfather, as you know, are my parents. And I think the reason for the longevity of the rosary is because it's so. Um, flexible in terms of what it allows the person praying it to, to think about and to contemplate. Um, and because, you know, these mysteries are so universal and so particular, um, you can, you can really kind of customize your experience of praying the rosary as to what is going on in your life at this particular moment. Um, no matter what's going on, you know, there is going to be a mystery of the rosary that's going to help you, you know, enter into the mysteries of your own life more deeply. And see mm-hmm. the narrative of your own life um, as it's unfolding in the light of the narrative of the gospel. Oh, yes. And can you share a personal story about praying the rosary? Yeah. So it's funny. I, I, <laughs> I've i had um, kind of a varied relationship with the rosary myself. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, part of, part of what was an interesting um, kind of realization in this writing process is, is that you know, I haven't been particularly consistent in my own praying of the rosary over the years. And in, in the process of writing the book, that has really changed. Um, cause you know, you don't want to be writing a book about the rosary if you're not praying it yourself. Right. Right. So, right. um, but I think, you know, the rosary is something, um, for me, it's become an anchor. Um, and it's something that I can always turn to, um, in, in my life, no matter what's going on. So I remember very vividly, like, um, you know, praying the rosary before major transition points in my life, whether it was graduation or moving to Ireland or moving back to the States. Um, and so, you know, the, the reflective quality and the repetitiveness actually is, is very, um, it's very meditative and it's very calming and um, it it really helped me to find clarity um, when I would be faced with big decisions or, you know, it would help me find comfort if I was faced with, um, you know, a sorrow or a cross. So Mm -hmm. the rosary has been there, you know, anytime anybody in my family has passed away, um, we've turned to the rosary. And, you know, when my grandfather was diagnosed with cancer, we had a big family rosary in my parents' house. And, you know, there was, 30 of us crowded into their living room, all praying the rosary together. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's one of those things that, you know, the beauty of it is that it, it focuses on the joys and the sorrows and the mysteries of light and the mysteries, the glorious mysteries. Like really it is, it can be a companion for your entire life um, depending on what's going on. And um, so I think it's, it has a real gift to offer to people. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm going to read a, a brief quote from your conclusion here. Uh, Praying the rosary can be simple or intricate, as the occasion suggests. It can be prayed in one sitting, or it can be broken up and prayed throughout the day. It can be prayed while walking, driving, washing dishes, working in the yard, sitting vigil at a sickbed. It can be focal point amid distraction, a calming respite among anxiety, a solace in grief. In whatever matter it is prayed, the rosary will always lend itself to reflection and recollection. This was... 
I wrote, I read this over and over again. And I'm like, wow, that is profound. So, you know, of course, the my, my traditional thing of the rosary is, like you said before, kneeling in church with your beads. So, you know, I, I really applaud you for thinking outside the box. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. That was a, it was one of the, um, my favorite quotes at the, at the very end. And, um, it's a really uh, wonderful book. So, um, again, uh, the book is, uh, praying the rosary, a guide for home and classroom by Carolyn Pirtle with art by John Pirtle. As you mentioned in your uh, biography, you're a composer and arranger. And so we're going to talk about three of the pieces that we have published with world library publications. So how, how long have you been actually writing music? So I really got into writing music when I was a a college undergrad. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to take music theory courses as part of my music major and had never really, you know, sat down and actually tried to put pencil to paper um, before that point. But I discovered relatively quickly that I'm a giant music theory nerd, number one, (laughs) and that I really love, um, I really loved composing and I really loved, you know, um, trying to learn how to write in different styles that we had been talking about in our music theory classes, um, but then also kind of branching out and and trying to um, create new pieces of my own. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's where it really kind of started to come to fruition. Fantastic. We're going to listen to a brief clip of the song Bless the Corners, arranged by Stephen Warner and Carolyn Pirtle. And tell us about Bless the Corners and uh, working with Steve Warner. So uh, this was part of the Songs of Saints and Scholars album that the Notre Dame Soul Choir recorded, I believe, in 2007 or 2008. Um, yes. And Steve came to me with this tune that he had come across um, from this amazing Ellen Pipe play, player named Skip Clevenger. Um, and the tune is a traditional Irish tune. Um, so it, the, the kind of melodic material was already in existence, um, but Steve had also been given a text, the text of this particular piece, um, The House Blessing, from a dear friend of his, and um, wanted to set the text to music and thought that that particular um, traditional tune coupled with the traditional text might make a really interesting combination. So um, Steve, you know, put together the choral parts and things like that, and I was responsible for kind of creating the instrumental arrangement based on Skip's original recording of that particular tune mm-hmm. and you know i think the result um it's it's really uh earthy and also really joyful which is <laughs> a pretty good you know characterization of a lot of irish music in general actually oh yes oh gosh yeah. i love irish music um bless the corners is for three-part choir ulian pipes or violin flute guitar organ and an optional string quartet Uh, The composer suggests using a drop D tuning on the guitar. You can find it on the album Songs of Saints and Scholars by the Notre Dame Folk Choir. Uh, Next, we have a song, another Irish song, and I had an Irish friend of mine work out the pronunciation as Biisa Mkrisa, 
Mm-hmm. Or Jesus be in our hearts. Thank you. I was really afraid to say that. <laughs> but uh, this this morning, I'd emailed a friend in Ireland saying, "How do you say this?" Yeah. <laughs> thank, so well I, done. Thank yeah. you so much. Uh, and uh, I take it you you have you're of Irish heritage yourself. I am. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we're going to listen to a brief clip of "Beisa em Crisa" or "Jesus be in our hearts." was nice. This song is also from the same collection of songs of saints and scholars. So another traditional Irish song. This is arranged solely by you. So uh, tell mm-hmm. us about this one. So this uh, the text is, is traditional um, and it's, it was an Irish text and so the, the first challenge was to you know have it translated and at the time I was arranging this piece um, uh, some dear friends of mine were here um, here at Notre Dame, and they were in the Irish Studies Department working on advanced degrees, and so um, they were able to help me with the translation. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I think the the piece, the text is is really um, kind of quintessentially Celtic. Um, mm-hmm. The the Celtic spirituality is is one that you know it's not just Christ be in my heart; it's Christ before me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right hand, Christ on my left hand. Mm -hmm. So in this particular piece, you get that same sense, um, Jesus be in my heart, Jesus, you know, make my penitence true. Um, There are all these different ways of evoking the presence of Christ and invoking the presence of Christ in in your life and in your heart. Um, So the the text, I think, really appealed to me. um, And uh, the tune is, um, it's it's also a traditional tune. So, um, and I thought the tune was just, really gorgeous um Mm -hmm. and you know the the fun challenge with this was basically um taking a melody and really expanding it out and um creating you know i particularly love writing for instrumental parts and things like that and and creating um interesting textures with the instruments that i that i choose to include in in a particular ensemble Mm -hmm. um and so i think one of my favorite moments is um you know, toward the end of the piece with the third verse, um, you just have this kind of pedal point in the cello or in the low, you know, organ or, or whatever instrument is going to be covering that part. And um, the choral writing is very kind of close knit. Um, and it's just a very different kind of, um, it's a it's a very different kind of sound than we've heard throughout the piece. Um, and then all of a sudden, as, it, as the melody takes off, everything just kind of expands all of a sudden and, and it becomes much more sweeping. So... Um, you know, I, I really enjoy um, trying to create that that variety and that sense of kind of momentum in the way that I score a piece. Oh, yes. And I, I do love the voicing, too. I, I, I love how it sounds. And I did get to sing this piece. Uh, I, uh, so it was a really wonderful uh, experience. Uh, the, the song, Be Isa Em Crisa, is for four-part chord. Choir, excuse me, four-part choir with optional soloist, flute, string, trio, and keyboard. And lastly, we have 
My uh, Come, My Way, My Truth, My Life by Stephen Warner, arranged by Carolyn Pirtle. Let's give that one a listen. Okay, another song uh, by Steve Warner with your arrangement. Uh, tell us about this one. So Steve um, sent me, uh, basically, he had kind of a demo recording um, of the melody and a guitar accompaniment, as you know, Steve is a, an incredibly talented guitarist. Oh, yes, and, yes. Um, it was, you know, just this very um, kind of bare-bones acoustic and really, really lovely um, version of the piece. Um, and, you know, I think people are familiar with this text, obviously, um, there's a beautiful setting of this particular text by Ray Vaughn Williams that is incredibly famous. Um, and so, you know, I think in the beginning, Steve and I kind of talked a little bit about how um, kind of audacious it was to be creating a new melody for this text when the Vaughn Williams version is so well known. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I heard his, his um, what he had in mind for it, you know, I, I immediately sensed the potential and it, it just, there's something about the melodic writing and, and the chord structure that he had in place that was just so, um, so lovely and, and kind of ethereal, but still very rooted, um, still very rooted musically. Um, so I, I wanted to try to capture that as much as possible in the arrangement. Um, so the piano is, very, very rooted in D flat. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of kind of um, slow sort of harmonic changes. There's not a lot of um, suddenness in this piece, I, I guess I would say. Um, and the, even the choral writing, I think, kind of reflects that too. Um, having the melody start out in, in the men's voices, for example, isn't um, I think isn't something that happens all that often. <laughs> oh no, yeah, you're right. The yeah. men carry the verses, the melody for the first and second verse and have the women sort of um, take a supporting role with the, the choral the choral writing in that second verse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I actually was living in Ireland at the time that I arranged this and oh. um, one of my housemates had this incredible baritone voice and I actually wrote that arrangement with his voice in mind. Um, and so it was really nice to be able to hear him sing that eventually. Um, but, you know, using, um, 
using a sense of a pacing, I think, um, that was um, evoked by the, the melody itself. Um, so there are, you know, there's a real sense of kind of push and pull in this piece, um, especially, you know, once you get to the interlude and again, you know, kind of creating the sense of momentum once that third verse comes back in with the full SATB um, choral arrangement and then, you know, kind of playing with the melody a little bit um, in certain places by um, stretching it out and, and adding, you know, some very mild um, syncopation or hemiola at very strategic points. Um, to kind of bring the piece to a restful conclusion. So I think I think it came together really well, but it's just because the source material I was given was so good. So. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, it's a beautiful piece. Come My Way, My Truth, My Life is for four-part choir, flute, two violins, cello, guitar, and keyboard. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for being our guest today. I've learned a lot myself, and I'm sure our listeners will be glued to every word you say. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. You have been listening to the World Library Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to get all of our episodes. This podcast is copyright 2019 by World Library Publications, and all rights are reserved. Special thanks today to Brother Mickey McGrath and Carolyn Purtle, who joined us. Thanks to Mary Lou Pollock-Rafferty, the owner of J.S. Pollock Company and World Library Publications. Jennifer Odegaard is our Vice President and Chief Publishing Officer. Michelle Von Ebers is our Rights and Permissions Manager. Raquel Hernandez is the Director of Marketing. Mary Beth Kundi Anderson is the Director of Publications. And Deb Johnston is our Productions Manager. Books by Mickey McGrath and Carolyn Pirtle, along with her music, can be purchased at wlpmusic.com. Music by Danielle Rose can be purchased on CD at wlpmusic.com and from iTunes and all digital music outlets. Thank you for listening. I am Larry Van Mersberg and your host for WLP. Our closing song is Reason to Believe by Danielle Rose, also from the Mysteries album. Love